Hello and welcome to episode 62 of React Native Radio. I'm your host, Nader Dabit. Today on our panel, we have Ali Najafizadeh. Hello, guys. Peter Pykarczyk. Hey, everybody. And today our special guest is Leland Richardson from Airbnb. Welcome to the show, Leland. How's it going? It's going great. We've been looking forward to having you on and we've been kind of going back and forth for a while. So it's a pleasure to finally kind of connect. And um, I know there's so much to talk about, especially with all of the open source stuff that you all are doing. And I've seen you speak at a few conferences and there's just a lot to talk about. So I'm looking really forward to kind of get into this conversation. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for having me on. So I guess before we kind of dive into the topic, can you kind of go into how you personally got into programming in general? This is a very general question we normally kind of go over just to kind of get an idea, uh, you know, of, of each person coming on, like how you got into programming and how this programming like career of yours led you to Airbnb where you are now. Yeah, sure. So I kind of talk about this with, with a number of people, but mo- most of my life I didn't actually think I was going to go into programming. I, I, uh, for most of my life, I thought I was going to be a physicist. And so kind of through like middle school onward, most of my life was kind of spent thinking a lot about uh, math and science. And I went to Rice University, got a, got a degree in math and physics and did some physics research there. And when, when I was in high school, programming sort of became, uh, I, I learned kind of an e- easy way to make money. I was, you know, working in a restaurant as a, as a busboy and kind of found this job at a, at a machine shop where I, I started doing some, some machining and then, and then kind of got into some, some office-based work there doing some programming, some really basic stuff. I think, uh, at the time it was like the visual basic and, you know, Microsoft SQL and some stuff like that. And I never really thought of it as a, as a career so much as at the time, just kind of, kind of an easy way to make, make a little more money than I would doing busing tables or, or something like that. So where did you live at this time? Oh yeah. So this was in, this was in St. Louis, Missouri. So kind of mid Midwest America. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. Um, coming from Mississippi, I totally relate, I guess, <laughs> but anyway, I keep on going. Yeah. And so anyway, when I, when I got into college, a sort of similar thing kind of happened where I, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily looking at programming as, as a career choice, but uh, again, it became a, a, a nice way to make money. I, I was sort of paying, paying my way through school and uh, got a job at like a, a local sort of oil and gas company uh, out there in Houston and started uh, writing some software for them, um, mainly sort of database kind of web services, uh, sort of tailored towards towards that industry. And uh, by the time I, I graduated, I kind of had this choice of whether or not I should kind of pursue my my, my dreams of of uh, physics and and become kind of go into academia uh, or. Um, I, I had someone who who kind of had approached me talking about going into a uh, like kind of starting a startup um, and and being the the technical co-founder uh, there. And so I kind of had to be honest with myself and and look at whether or not I thought 
programming was something I wanted to do as a career. And, and kind of when I was honest with myself, I realized that I actually had a lot more fun working on those, those things than I did with, uh, physics. And I kind of, I kind of looked at it the same way, but it had some qualities that, that physics didn't have for me. There's, um, kind of this ability to think abstractly and kind of just press a button and see, see how your theory kind of maps out, uh, in the real world. And that, that sort of bridge, um, from abstract to concrete that, that programming provides, I, I think was like a really a really powerful feedback loop for me that just made me enjoy the work a lot more. Um, so anyway, I, I, I kind of started this, ended up starting this, uh, uh, a startup and worked on that for a few years, uh, moved out to the Valley and after a while that, that didn't quite work out. And I started looking for, for companies, uh, to join that I, that I could really kind of, get into. And I, I decided that I really wanted to be, uh, an individual contributor as opposed to, um, you know, founding another startup or, or something like that. I, it was, I, I kind of really enjoyed the, the engineering work and, and, uh, and so kind of landed at a, uh, Airbnb, which, which I consider kind of a, a bigger company though maybe by some standards it's not, but it seemed huge to me. And yeah, kind of moved there and, and really enjoy working on, on infrastructure over here. That's awesome. So, so you didn't really go and get a classical like uh, computer science degree or anything like that. You kind of were self-taught, I guess. Yeah, as far as programming goes, um, definitely kind of self-taught. I, I'm pretty avid online courseware person. I take a lot of courses just sort of at, at my own pace on online I did so through college and, and afterwards and so definitely have some computer science knowledge just uh nothing formal so that's so interesting that someone you know that has gotten you know become pretty successful working at a company like airbnb you know just people listening out there like if you are self-taught you know a lot of big companies are more interested in you know, the person and their ability to, ability to learn, I guess, than, you know, their degrees and things like that. I, I personally am self-taught as well, and I felt like it hasn't really been a barrier to entry. Though, of course, if I could go back in time, I would have loved to have gotten my degree. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I was also self-taught, and I was actually supposed to start law school a month before I got my first programming job. Uh, my buddy was like, Hey, you know, like you're, you're probably as good, if not better than some of the people that I'm working with, you know? And I was like, yeah, I don't have a degree though. He's like, well, honestly, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You don't get the job, you know? And I was like, yeah, good point. I applied, got the job and, you know, two weeks before I'm supposed to start, I'm like, you know, sorry, law school. Like I got to pull out, like I actually got a job instead. And that sort of kickstarted my, my programming career. So uh, how did your parents feel about that? Are they, or are they the type that are kind of not really that involved anyway? Eh, they were like, you know, my parents are, you know, foreign. So I'm first generation here. Uh, they grew up, they grew up in like a different sort of uh, environment, right? Where like the education was like everything, you know? So, but they, they supported me, you know, they were just like, are you sure you're making the right decision? Like you don't have a computer science degree, you know, like, how far are you really going to go in your career? You know, um, 
but they, I mean, they like supported me. They were just like nervous, you know, is this like, is this the right choice for you? You know, like you were supposed to be a lawyer and now, you know, now you're not, you know, so, but I mean, it worked out like at this, you know, they're obviously very proud of, you know, what I've done so far. So uh, it, I'm happy to say that it was like a, it was a positive experience. Very cool. Very cool. So Leland, uh, you mentioned online courses and things like that. H- how do you continue your like education? Do you still take those online courses or do you more learn from like a firsthand experience at your company or, um, you know, just kind of curious at, at that level, like how do you continue learning? Yeah. Um, I, I haven't done an online course in, in a little while. Um, I feel like every, every time I, I end up on, um, you know, audacity or, uh, uh, MIT open courseware, um, any of those kind of online courseware sites, I, I feel like it, it, it ends up being like a, a huge rabbit hole. I, I just, I see all the things that are available. Um, but, but I haven't, I, I've, I've sort of blacked that from my browser history maybe for a little while and haven't, haven't made it on there. Um, I think a lot of where I sort of learn and progress is, is definitely just with, uh, with my day-to-day work at, at Airbnb, but it, it's definitely getting very, very narrow and very focused. Uh, so a lot of the, a lot of the things I learn, you know, now are really applied to, to specific technologies and specific problems, which is very good because you get kind of a deep, uh, sense of, of a particular problem, but, I, I think that what gets interesting is when when you kind of feel like you've you've taken that 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 sort of niche uh, of the industry and and you you've kind of learned what you want to learn and you want to kind of move on to something else and um, some areas where I've kind of found myself doing that a little bit um, are I mean originally I was I was very much a, a web, web development focused engineer. And, and it kind of became an expert, you know, in that area and have since kind of migrated into this, into this, uh, native world. And, um, I'm, I'm finding myself kind of diving deeper and deeper into the, the iOS and Android platforms. And, um, a lot of that is, uh, learning from the people around me, um, you know, solving hard, you know, difficult problems when, when they come up. And also just, you know, doing some reading and, you know, leveraging the internet is really sort of the greatest, greatest resource I can think of. But, yeah. Do you like the, uh, the mobile space so far? Do you like it more than the, the web? What are your thoughts on it? You know, it's interesting. I, I think there, there are some similarities and, and some differences. I, I, I sort of fell in love with the web space, I think, uh, in large part due to the the kind of vibrant open source community that, that uh, at least the JavaScript community tends to have, which um, for me, I was, I was always drawn to. Uh, I don't, I can't really think of another industry that has such a, a community around, around sharing and um, really just putting, putting things out there for free and, uh, and like having just, people at different companies just openly collaborate with one, one another. I think that's, uh, I'm sure there are examples, but, but that's to me is just something pretty unique to this industry. And the, 
the kind of web development community seems like that's sort of more at its core than with like iOS or Android. Probably, probably Android is probably closer to to the web in that regard, but iOS seems to be a bit further away. So can, let's talk about React Native. How was React Native introduced into Airbnb and when was that done and what were the circumstances, I guess, behind it and kind of to get this conversation started? So when I, when I joined Airbnb, React Native wasn't used at all. And I, I was kind of an open proponent of it. I, I know that Spike, Spike and I, uh, Spike is someone I work with at Airbnb. And uh, I remember we, we actually talked about it on, on this cell call for me joining Airbnb. <laughs> but yeah, he, he told me, he said, yeah, you know, we don't, we don't use it, but you should, you should come over to Airbnb and, and you know, start that effort. Uh, so it's basically what I did. <laughs> so, you know, I worked on our web infrastructure team on on a lot of different stuff. I didn't didn't work on React Native right away, but uh, about six months after I joined, it it had sort of reached a a point where um, the conversation was was healthy enough that that I could start I could start working on on that type of a project. Uh, it's sort of like an exploratory kind of capacity. You know, I had I brought it up as something that, that we should try out. And, and so we started uh, kind of meeting with um, different stakeholders, uh, some, some engineers, some managers, and um, started talking about, you know, what, what the main motivations were for trying it, um, how, how we could try it, in sort of an unobtrusive way, uh, and and sort of maintain as little kind of risk as possible, um, and and sort of like the the kind of the big thing in my mind originally was like you know what what does a successful kind of project look like like at, at what point uh, like what metrics would we use to, to determine if if React Native was something we wanted to uh, continue using, and so we we had kind of talked all around this. And so then we decided that, that um, uh, Spike and myself would start working on a, a small feature in the, uh, uh, in the Airbnb app that um, was kind of, it was, it was low risk. Uh, so there wasn't, um, we weren't tying ourselves to any deadline. Um, if, if something kind of bad happened, it wouldn't be, you know, uh, tanking some top line business metric or anything like that. Uh, and, and that it was like kind of a, a good candidate for a, a typical flow that we might think we would want to build in React Native later on. And so we started working on this. Um, and the, the kind of the main, the main premise was that, that Spike and I would work on this. And, um, Along the way, we would find a lot of a lot of problems uh, that, that like a lot of hurdles that we had to to kind of get over, and that was sort of the point was to identify what those hurdles were and to build a, a good foundation around that without a, a ton of time pressure, um, so that a, a solid foundation was kind of laid for for people in the future. So this this first feature might take you know five to 10 times as long to make as we would want, uh, you know, want it to take in the future. But, um, that was because we were kind of building all of these things for the first time. And so we, after a couple of months, we kind of got that, 
that feature to completion and we, we launched it um, in the production app and you know, put up an experiment against the, the native implementation and, and um, you know, wanted that to be at least neutral. And so, you know, over time we, we, uh, we got to that point and, and kind of along the way, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of education, uh, for, for other engineers and, um, kind of demystifying what, what React Native was and what it meant if we started using it and, uh, and what that might look like and, and stuff like that. So what were some of the main challenges uh, that you kind of ran into when you all were bringing this into, I guess, an existing app? I'm sure that you, you all were bringing this into, or was it a, a brand new app? And also, how did you kind of overcome those things? Because at the time, I have to say, there probably wasn't a lot of um, like groundwork laid in this area. I'm, sh- I'm sure you guys had to kind of innovate or, or figure things out on your own, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's definitely some, some other people doing, doing similar things, but, uh, it was definitely not the, the sort of happy path. Um, let's see. I mean, some, some problems that, that I think we and, and most other companies sort of had to figure out, you know, we had to, we had to like build, uh, something that integrated with our logging system. Um, we had to build something that integrated with our experimentation framework that we've built to do AB testing. Uh, we had to integrate with our internationalization APIs and, and, uh, and generating new translations and things like that. We sort of have like a feature flag system. Uh, we had to, to build something integrating with that. Um, let's see, we, there's like kind of a number of sort of small state management things that we, we had to build. We had to, uh, we had to integrate with some things to like maintain uh, whether like what the logged in user, what who the logged in user was, what their sort of favorited listings were, and uh, kind of like what current booked listings they have and upcoming trips and some stuff like that. Um, we had to we we wanted to like make sure that we were properly. Um, properly sharing network caches and things like that. So we, uh, you know, we rely heavily on, on like HTTP level caching and wanted to make sure that the, um, the, the network requests were kind of all feeding through the same pipeline, uh, with the same authentication and headers and all that stuff. Um, we wanted to share image caches, so we needed to make sure that if, if you had seen uh, an, a listing image somewhere else in the app, that if you if you saw it in a React Native screen, that it wouldn't result in a in a request. Um, <clears throat> and then, kind of on top of all that stuff, which is sort of just this like glue, uh, we had to we had to build a, um, a a component library in React Native that that matched. Um, the component libraries that we had in, in iOS and Android. Um, and then uh, one of the biggest kind of source of problems that we had uh, initially was was with, with navigation and making that feel seamless. And so um, we, we kind of rethought the way we were doing uh, navigation to and from 
native and react native screens and and out of that was was born the the native navigation library that that we launched recently um I would love to talk about that native navigation library because um, it just seems like a really cool way to go about it. Actually, using you know the real native uh, underlying native code as opposed to JavaScript animations. But before we get to that, what has been the like reception as far as within the company? And um, so you're continuing, you know, using React Native. I'm guessing it's been a net positive as far as um, something like is it like is it bringing about um, uh, like cost savings or are you iterating quicker or, you know, what's been the general, I guess, consensus within the company as far as continuing to use it or not use it? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a pretty complicated question. And the, the answer probably depends on who you ask, but overall it's, it's, it's pretty hard to measure what, what kind of benefits you get uh, in terms of like developer productivity and things like that. It's sort of uh, kind of a subjective guttural feel um, a lot of the time the the kind of the main the main metric that that we're kind of using which i'm not sure i can even call it a metric but i think is a pretty solid way of doing it is is just uh letting engineers choose for themselves and uh you know if if people have a good experience using react native they'll they'll recommend to use it again uh for for the next thing that they build or whatever and so um the way i look at my job is is really about just uh, kind of making the the experience for a developer at Airbnb uh, building a feature with React Native as as good as possible. And you know, I I don't I don't pretend for a second that we have you know a perfect track record there. You know, it's been uh, it's been a long process, and and there's you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of hurdles and problems that that uh, you know we have to overcome. And uh, we don't have a, a ton of people, you know, working on this infrastructure. And so, you know, we, we have a mixture of people. We've got people that uh, have used React Native and loved it. Uh, we, we've got, you know, some people that have used React Native and, and you know, gotten a bad taste in their mouths for, for various reasons. And, um, and maybe some people that are just, you know, kind of lukewarm on it. Uh, but you know, for each of those experiences, we kind of come away with with a a, a learning. Um, so you know, the the people that had had bad experiences, we want to find out why, and um, you know, try and solve the the problems they ran into in a better way, or uh, maintain a better SLA with with those engineers. And the the people that did have a good experience, you know, we want to try and see if. Uh, like why that was if the if their feature that they chose was kind of along a particular happy path or, or something like that and and uh and then learn from that as well so then maybe recommend other teams you know build those same types of features or it, it, you know see if we notice any patterns and, and stuff like that before we uh got too far along Leland, i just i just wanted to quickly ask and maybe you sort of answered this but if you could start over, what would you do a little differently with React Native, knowing what you know now? Whether whether that's, I guess it's a two-part question. Uh, you on your own, and then maybe uh, you and your involvement at Airbnb. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. You know, I mean, like I think earlier on, I 
I spent too much time thinking about uh, what people would need and like trying to trying to build all of the things that people would need before we actually needed them. And I think we probably should have just kind of built things as we needed them a little bit more. Um, that's a double-edged sword though, because I, I think there, there were times where we were building things, you know, as, as we needed them, obviously. And then for the, for the people, for the product engineers, that that's not a great experience either. Um, but I, I think that we, we spent some time building things that we didn't actually need that, that much. Um, like it was a little, little early to start building those things. And, and then later when we did end up needing them, um, you know, they ended up not even really completely solving the solving things the way that we needed. Um, so there's some, some blind spots there. Um, I, I think kind of one, one maybe big mistake that, that we made, well, I, I don't want to call it a mistake, but, uh, I think one, one thing that, that, uh, looking back was really difficult was we just ended up really growing our, our react native kind of user base here at Airbnb, uh, really, really fast. And it was, it was hard to keep up with it. And, you know, that, that just created a, a lot of, a lot of technical debt, but also like a lot of emotional debt. You know, there's a lot of people that maybe were using react native and, and, uh, now maybe associate it with like a platform that, that like wasn't quite there yet because we were constantly, you know, uh, three weeks behind where we needed to be to to get engineers using it the way they needed to, but that's you know sort of how things go. I think sometimes. Did you ever feel like people were super against it because they were you know native iOS or Android developers, and they almost felt like you were kind of maybe not you personally, but you know React Native was sort of like you know messing with their turf. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's definitely like some some resistance, uh, but I, I'm not sure I com- completely like. I don't think it's completely unfounded, right? I think I think most people just want to make sure that that we deliver a good product to our users, and so you know, I think that there's there's a lot of people that maybe jump to conclusions earlier on, and maybe don't fully understand what's going on. But you know, I think a lot of people just you know, question the, the value that it, that it adds at the end of the day. And, and that, you know, we, we don't want, they see it as, as something that, that could potentially re- reduce the quality of the app or, or something like that. And, you know, mo- most of my day is spent uh, trying to make sure that that isn't the result, right? That the result is, you know, a quality bar at the same level or, or, or greater even while using this, this new technology. And that's, I mean, that's not quite an easy task, you know, with React Native. I, I think there there are a lot of traps that you can fall into that kind of on the surface will will really, uh, you know, hinder performance or quality uh, of the app. And so you have to you have to make sure to to watch that. Do you think in the future uh, Airbnb can completely replace the native uh, part, and then they basically ship the Airbnb completely in React Native? Or there are some part of the the app that still needs to be in native, and if so, 
can you tell us which part so we can know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of people ask this. I my my answers maybe evolve slightly over time, but I, I think I think to answer this, you really have to ask yourself what it means to to have an app that's completely React Native. I I think there could be a world where the the entire app was sort of controlled from React Native, like you know maybe the the sort of top level logic and sort of sources of truth were were held in in kind of a, a JavaScript land. Um, but you know even then, I think that that's like super far off. But I think that there will like React Native works because you're just using the the React paradigm to uh, control views and components that are native. And for different problems, you may have to raise the level at which that that like abstraction happens. And there are definitely features that that we we may want to do in in the Airbnb app that would like using or building them kind of from scratch in in javascript uh would just be like the wrong choice just because you know you can only do so much with you know a, a single thread and and there's there's just a lot of a lot of logic that that you would need to do to implement certain features um that that would have to happen on the native side and and like i i think that's that's fine right um and and that's that's sort of where the power of React Native comes in. And so there there might be, if we did live in a world where the whole app was kind of controlled at the top level from from JavaScript, uh, there would definitely have to be some features that that were really complex kind of systems like UI systems that uh, were were just only controlled at a, in a small level from from JavaScript. Uh, leveraging like the the kind of things that React Native provides you, but um, that I don't think that like the whole app's going to to be kind of React Native without without any significant kind of native components, um, and that's fine. So I guess I have some questions about some of the open source stuff that you all have done. I know the first really big library, at least that I'm aware of, that was put out and maintain was the maps. Now I know that Airbnb, of course, the app and the whole idea and the company is centered around maps. When you go to the website, you know, you have that really nice UI with the maps and on the mobile app, you're also able to interact with the map. Was that something that I guess you all built internally and it was like out of necessity that you needed that and then you wanted to kind of release it into the public? And um, I'm kind of curious, you know, what, you know, what all went into that and, um, you know, if that project is going good and kind of what the future plans are for that, because I know a lot of people use that. Yeah, actually, it's kind of funny that library in particular actually went went through um, almost the, the opposite sort of life cycle. React Native Maps was uh, built by me, I think it was over over New Year's, not not this last New Year's, but the, the New Year's prior and when I was in Costa Rica and Airbnb wasn't using React Native at the time. That was before we started working on React Native. What what actually had happened was there was there was a hackathon at Airbnb where I uh, I, I built a, a React Native app um, 
and wanted to have part of it use maps and realized that the built-in map view components that, that React Native provided were, were pretty lacking. And um, I, hadn't, I hadn't ever built a, well, maybe I had built something really small, but uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't built a native React Native component. Um, and the, this seemed like a really good sort of learning opportunity. Uh, it was kind of a, seems like a challenge. And I had kind of in my head an, an idea for how the, the React API would look. I had built, I had, I had some experience building map components in React. I, I built the, the map components that, that Airbnb uses on the web. And so I, I, I wanted to kind of match that interface, uh, which, which basically kind of TLDR has, uh, re- like uses React children components of the map component to create features on, on the map. Uh, like markers and shapes and things like that. And so I, I wanted the React Native API to be the same way. And I didn't know how you could do that with native React Native components. And so this just, it was like kind of a fun challenge that I wanted to to try out. Um, and so I, I, I got it working and I, I sort of put it up in a repo um, I didn't even publish it on NPM. Uh, originally, I was I was just sharing it with some some people at Facebook, saying, you know, hey, we should make the 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 one in core like this. And like people actually started down like downloading the repo and and like copying the source themselves and, and started filing issues and and bug reports and stuff like this and and saying, you know, hey, we, we should publish this. So I did, um, but we weren't we weren't using it. I wasn't using it in any production app or anything like that. And so it it ended up being uh, really difficult to maintain uh, because of that. And it's it's a very complicated library, and there's there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And the corresponding kind of native libraries for Google Maps and MapKit and uh, Mapbox and stuff are are monolith libraries that have huge memory implications and um, you know, a lot of subtlety to how they're, how they're implemented and, and all this stuff. And so there is, uh, you know, I initially kind of viewed it as like a proof of concept, but, um, you know, something that, that still needed quite a bit of polish. And so it became really, really difficult to maintain. Um, I, I ended up, uh, you know, finding some other people that were using it in, in production apps and, and kind of asking for some help, uh, in terms of maintaining it. Um, and then it was, it was only, uh, quite a bit later that, that we actually had a react native flow that was using a map. Um, and I, I didn't want to transfer the library to Airbnb until we started actually relying on it in production. Uh, and so that, that only happened, um, you know, maybe, I don't remember exactly when it was, it was maybe July or August or something. And so that was the point that we transferred it to, to Airbnb. And it's, you know, it's still, to be, to be quite honest, it's still, uh, it's still pretty hairy around the edges. It's, it's, uh, it's a difficult, difficult library. And, um, you know, I think, I think even today it's, um, 
we're, we're getting quite a quite a few crashes that kind of come from subtle subtle bugs uh, around that library. So um, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll we'll kind of get it to to a much much saner place um, than it is now. But but uh, definitely looking for for some people to to help out there because there there are a lot of other people that are using it in production and. Um, we'd be very, very open to, um, some, some help with, with contributions. Yeah. That's a super interesting story to hear that. I'm, I'm kind of curious though, that now that you kind of went into all that, do you feel like that may be a, uh, limitation for React Native as far as building out a lot of these abstractions on top of iOS and Android when you start getting into more complicated stuff like, like maps, for instance, is that going to be is that going to be something that kind of holds the framework back in the future? Or do you feel like that with more and more people using it, more people contributing that we're kind of overcoming some of these, some of these problems, but it just seems like there all, there's always going to be, of course, when you build another layer of abstraction, it's going to be so hard to keep up with the parity there. Uh, whenever, for instance, uh, you know, they come out with a new version of the, of the underlying API. You know, I think there's definitely, it's definitely harder. There's, there's a, you know, a layer of abstraction that's, you know, maybe hindering you a bit, but I, I don't, I don't think that it's, it's unachievable. I mean, I, I think that, um, for maps, uh, react ends up being a really good way to interact with maps. Um, we, you know, we've had, we've had a lot of luck on, on the web, uh, you know, with, with uh, React-based abstractions uh, on top of, of maps, and so in that in that sense, I you know I think that there there's even some value over the top that that React Native could provide. Uh, I think it just it really needs some um, you know some elbow grease. I, I think that there's uh, it's a it's a complex system, and and we're um, using using the React abstraction in addition to the react native abstraction in terms of native components and and uh and sort of weird ways to accomplish the the goal and um you know there can be some some subtle bugs that crop up from that but you know i think i think with with uh with some experienced native engineers and some experienced javascript engineers kind of kind of working together i think that you can get get a, a pretty nice um, experience at the end of the day. Just take some work. Where do you see the future of React Native going and uh, Airbnb? Um, <clears throat> well, you know, I, I hope that we continue to uh, uh, continue to adopt it and build more and more of the app with it, um, especially for the, the features that it makes a lot of sense uh, with. I think that um, once the sort of foundation uh, and the, the base level infrastructure for, for React Native at, at Airbnb matures, that you know, we will see pretty drastic um, productivity gains and also just some kind of, I don't know, I would say or, organizational changes around how, how we think about platforms and, and verticals and, and things like that. I think I've, I've always, one of the things that's 
always kind of been pointed to as uh, something that React Native could improve is uh, the ability to have kind of a single engineer understand understand a, a problem uh, really well. And um, so if you have an engineer building a certain feature, they can start to understand, you know, how that feature impacts the business and, and what sort of uh, logic needs to go into that and how, you know, this API, this internal API works and um, building that, that feature and, and like really just doing it once and, and making that one feature as good as it can be uh, rather than having, you know, three or four different people building the exact same thing uh, with almost no communication uh, with one another. And, and so you're you're kind of learning the same, you have different people that are running into the same problems and, and doing the same things uh, multiple times. And, and um, you know, I think React Native can, can help eliminate a lot of that. Uh, I also think that the more that we build with it, I, I think long-term we'll, we'll be able to do, uh, have a m- much higher velocity for, for development. One of the technologies that we're, um, you know, really hoping to use, uh, as, as time goes on is, is code push, um, and, and being able to, uh, continuously deploy changes and iterate on, on products at, at a much higher rate than we can right now. You know, right now we have um, any any sort of feature improvement or bug fix or um, you know feature flag addition or anything that that we do. You're looking at anywhere from one to two weeks before that actually hits real users. Uh, whereas on the web right now, we you know we have a, a feedback loop of uh, like less than an hour. So um, it's, it's pretty, pretty dramatic difference there. And I think if, if we started realizing that as an organization, uh, that, that could, could have a huge impact on our, on our bottom line. Um, the other thing, uh, you know, we, with React Native, you end up sharing quite a bit of code between iOS and Android. Um, and, you know, I could see that moving into, uh, iOS, Android and the web potentially in the future. Um, and then there's even been some experimentation that we've been doing uh, uh, with taking our our React uh, native code base um, and including things like our component library and rendering uh, rendering the result of that not to a, a device or or a browser, but actually to uh, sketch to to render designs for our designers and uh, um, we're, we're kind of exploring different ways to uh, to leverage that and and um, that, that could actually impact I think pretty significantly the um, the design process and and how designers interact with engineers and engineers with designers um, and how, how we're able to leverage um, the the sort of concepts of, of react which are, is, is sort of an abstraction over whatever platform you're targeting and start to maybe see that, that uh, reap benefits in, in, in ways more than just building the actual thing. Um, 
but actually with uh, consistency across across uh, design and engineering organizations at at Airbnb. And so um, there there are just those are kind of like the ways that that like I kind of see on the horizon here. But I think long term uh, there's there's tremendous value to thinking about out your application and your UI uh, with a, uh, a single paradigm uh, across all platforms and um, what what kind of value that consistency might might bring you. Okay, so that's super interesting because one of my favorite talks of all time was James Eday and React Comp 2016. He gave a talk called Team X Technology and he kind of dove into that entire idea for about 25 minutes. And I think what he was kind of talking about was very similar to what you were saying. And it was basically the idea of a cross-stack developer as opposed to a developer that is only limited to one platform, but instead they're they're kind of organized by features. So this this feature gets given and, and managed by this developer and, and he works on it and he iterates and he bug fixes. And by the end of it, you kind of, like you said, you understand the business problems. You understand everything that's going on there and you're implementing it one way, but it goes into all these other platforms. So I guess one of my questions is, and you kind of went over this a few times already, but what is your vision for where React and React Native and all that stuff is headed as, a, as, as far as the targeting of all of, of these other platforms? Do you believe that we're kind of on the right track with React Native and then we're plugging in React Native Web, and then we're plugging in, you know, React Native uh, Windows, and then we have these other kind of plug, pluggable things. Or do you think that something like React XP, which was put up by Windows recently, is maybe like a single plugin with a s- slightly different API? Um, or do you believe it's maybe a, uh, something completely different? Or just you know, just kind of your general view on that whole idea. That's a that's a really great question uh, and one I think about quite a bit. So I'm I'm arguably a little bit biased. Uh, I have a uh, a library that that I worked on and am working on called called React Primitives, um, which attempts to basically answer exactly this question. And I'll, I'll kind of give my sort of feel on the topic. I, I, I think that. I think that React X, XP is uh, is like reasonably close to to where where we want to go. I have kind of a more slightly more opinionated view of what it should look like, and I, I started formulating these ideas. I um, uh, you know big big shout out to Nicholas Gallagher from from Twitter uh, who wrote React Native Web. The the kind of ideas that he started working on is sort of really what kind of made me start thinking about this. Uh, but when I built the, the, the component library of, uh, uh, of in React Native at Airbnb, one of the things I noticed was there were, I implemented almost the entire library. I would say, uh, you know, maybe 95% of it uh, with all of about six uh top-level APIs from, from React Native. And when, when I kind of finished the first sort of version of the library, I, I, I reflected on this fact and, and 
it, it made me realize that there are sort of these um, these primitive interfaces that that React Native provides that from which you can build almost anything. Um, not everything, but but uh, a good chunk of things. And the so I guess to to lay it out there that those interfaces are um, for React Native is view text and image kind of as the the three sort of core primitive components. Um, there's the a touchable interface, which is a, a something I kind of rejiggered from um, the touchable opacity and touchable highlight that 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 React Native provided out of the gate. Uh, the style sheet API, which uh, is pretty pretty crucial. Um, you can't really have a, a unified set of components without a unified sort of understanding of how those components lay lay out. Um, and so, really, the I, I say the style sheet API, but a, a big piece of that is the fact that it's the flexbox implementation underneath. And so, you know, really, a layout algorithm is kind of a necessary piece of this universal platform. Um, and then uh, another sort of really important piece I found was uh, the animated API, which <clears throat> didn't didn't ship, I think, uh, in React Native until like 0 0.8 or something. But that feels like an eternity ago. Uh, but that was that was a, a the animated API, I think, is is a really, really well-designed um, declarative animation framework that uh, I, I think really does a good job of, of allowing React and animations to sort of become one um, in, in a way that could be abstracted across multiple platforms, which I think is important. Um, and then one final API, which I, I think is kind of just a, a, an afterthought, but is the the platform API, which uh, in React Native is is a way to allow you to toggle between different different code paths for different platforms. And so I, I started thinking around this idea that those uh, those six APIs could could become what I what I called the primitives of React, and so those would be React primitives and. Um, so React Native kind of already provides most of those things uh, minus Touchable, um, and and like it, I guess what I'm kind of asserting is that they did those APIs right. Uh, those those are kind of the the good parts of React Native that that I think really stuck out, and uh, most of the other stuff I, I you know I think is kind of um, you know, just really dependent on what you're trying to do and what platform you're on and things like that. But these these were really, I think, brilliant interfaces uh, to create cross-platform UI. And so what what Nicholas did originally and, and what I sort of copied was kind of building that API into the web and uh, building identically behaving interfaces um, on, on top of browser APIs. And React DOM, and um, the once once you sort of get that, the the result is like pretty staggering. Uh, we we've been able to convert like entire React Native flows, um, it, like entire chunks of code that like are in production, and actually just render them to the browser as like a a, a web app. 
um, which is like pretty crazy once you like see it for the first time. And then doing sort of the same thing with with sketch was I, I think kind of another big like moment where I was like, whoa, like this this actually just works. Um, and and so I think in terms of building kind of cross platform. UI. I think there is one one other thing that React Native provided that that is sort of critical here, uh, which which is the the idea of platform extensions um, in in terms of file names. And so you're you're able to uh, create you know a, a certain component, let's say a React component, um, you know, button or something, and let's say that those you want to build like a really um, platform uh, optimized button, you know, and you're, you're leveraging some features that only that platform has. And so what you can do is you can say, you know, let's say that uh, that's on the Android platform. You can have a button.android.js and um, the, you'll sort of go down that code path for, for Android and then you'll use the normal button.js for everything else. And this this ends up being a really powerful powerful tool where we can now take an entire dependency graph um, of of a code base and we can start to split it by platform for little pieces of it and then bring it back together and, and that that ends up being a really good way to share code when you want to share code uh, and not share code when you don't want to. And be be able to kind of opt, optimally leverage uh, code sharing in whatever way you want. And so, I think Facebook realized early on that that was a, a critical piece of of React Native, the ability to to do this. And so, a lot of the kind of underlying designs of React Native are, are built around this ability to to build cross platform UIs. Um, but I, I think it goes much much beyond iOS and Android. And so, I think. That if the community kind of standardizes on one, this sort of uh, like tooling around these this platform extension idea, um, I think that that's that's a big piece of it. Um, and then the the other piece I think is that we need some some base level set of components, um, i.e. the Re- React primitives that <clears throat> people can can start to to use to build anything, uh, and that that. Like it's important to understand that this doesn't mean that everything has to be built from these primitives. It doesn't mean that I need to build like uh, an example that I use is the checkbox component. You know, on on the web, if we want to build a checkbox, uh, we you know we probably want to use a standard web input with type checkbox. Um, and that that's for all sorts of reasons because there's all sorts of accessibility concerns. There's, uh, you know, there's there's just better behavior baked into the browser. Like we definitely want to leverage uh, those those platform built-ins. But what's interesting is that like you don't actually necessarily need to do that on on iOS or Android, right? Uh, maybe we want to build a checkbox component, um, and it looks a certain way, and and we just build one out of uh, you know, touchable, view, animated, uh, those types of things. And so we build a checkbox that implements a certain interface, and we have a checkbox component. On, on the web, 
we could implement the same checkbox with the primitives or with input, input type checkbox. And this is a perfect usage of the .web.js platform extension. You're, you're able to uh, just, just have that optimized version for that platform. But if you also build a version that is built just out of primitives, then you get this interesting property where now you have that component for free on any platform that also implements the primitives. And so if you, if you kind of always follow this rule where you implement any, any component you want to implement, you try to build out of, uh, other, other components, um, that also follow this rule or the primitives, then your component will by default, uh, work in any platform that implements the primitives. But if, if you, if you, so you just do that first. And if you want to have a platform specific implementation for that component, you do that second. And you do that in one of these dot foo.js files that, that for this platform that you're implementing. And if, if we started shipping like real libraries, uh, following this pattern, um, we could, we could have an entire ecosystem that is built and works just as well as it does today, um, but has this interesting property where as soon as someone builds the primitives in a new language, in a new platform, like say, you know, VR or TV or Windows or whatever platform they want, maybe it's something that doesn't exist yet, um, that all of a sudden, all of your code works in that platform. There may be things that aren't super optimized, like maybe they, they didn't build that really good custom checkbox component, but they will have something that looks correct and mostly works because it's built from the primitives. Um, and, I, and I think this is a tremendous opportunity that, that we as like a, a community sort of have um, where we're, we're leveraging the, the kind of fact that, that React isn't isn't platform specific. It doesn't rely on any implementation details of any platform. It's it's simply a uh, a, a way of generating UI descriptions and composing them really conveniently to build more and more powerful things on top of each other. And so then the the actual UI implementation of those things um, we can kind of narrow down to. Uh, a pretty specific subset that that almost anyone could implement, um, and all of a sudden, all of that kind of application logic that that doesn't doesn't rely on a specific platform, um, but would normally be tied to it for certain certain reasons, is is now completely cross-platform, and we could start leveraging that uh, in really really powerful ways that that I think we're only only now just starting to, to broach the surface. So I think this is some of the most exciting stuff going on with React and React Native right now. I could talk about this for a long time and for hours. It's just so cool. So so if someone wants to kind of check this out, I guess they could go ahead and go to your repo, uh, uh, React Primitives. It's on your uh, personal repo. Yeah, if you, if you want to go um, check out the, the React Primitives repo, uh, I, I think there's a lot of other people that are really thinking about this stuff. I'm... I'm not necessarily saying that that you know my my library is the best library or anything, uh, but but I think in terms of 
the, the sort of underlying idea about how to, as a community, move towards a, a cross-platform world. I, I think that um, I think that this is a good path. And, um, you know, I think uh, Nicholas at Twitter is doing a lot of great work in this area. Um, Microsoft with React XP uh, is definitely kind of starting to understand this space um, and doing a lot of good work over there. Um, and so there's there's just a lot of good stuff going on. So I feel like we could have like an entire episode for each of the libraries that Airbnb is open source for React Native because you have Lottie, you have the new navig uh, the new navigation um, library, you have you have the maps, um, and a few I'm I'm sure a few other things. I guess can you kind of talk about? We're gonna kind of go over maybe a couple more things um, because we're kind of running on time. But can you kind of talk about the sketch um, thing that you guys have, have been working on? I know I'd seen some discussion on Twitter and you kind of talked about that. Is that something that's going to be released uh, to the public? Yeah, we're, um, we're, we're really close. We, uh, we've been working on trying to, to kind of polish that library up and make it something that people, uh, people can easily consume without um, you know, trying to, to fall down some rabbit hole. Uh, and, and then also just putting on some of the, the polish for the library. There were, there were some things that weren't, um, uh, you know, hundred percent correct when, when we built it for the first time. And, and so we, we're, we're getting really close to, to the stage where, where we can open source that. Um, and I, I think for that project in particular, it's, it's kind of this, um, it's this thing where, where we, we know it's going to you know, sort of play a big part in, in our, our process, but we're not exactly sure how yet. We're, we're still, we're still very early on kind of experimenting with, um, what, what it means to, uh, to be able to generate these, these things from, from code that, that potentially designers might, might use and interact with and how, how we can affect our process, um, and some of the pain points that we're having around our design process with with such a technology and that's that's not entirely clear yet uh we have some ideas that that we're working on but uh we're also just really interested in in what um what other people come up with we we've received a lot of interest from from other companies uh facing similar design problems to to ourselves that that are really interested in this project and so it'll be interesting to see um what what comes out of it, you know, uh, a year from now. So is it going to be like an app like that is a plugin for Sketch or is it going to be a, an uh, existing freestanding application? And is, and is it going to be more of a design and then export code type of thing? Uh, so to be clear, the, the we're not exporting code. Um, so this is like a code to Sketch uh, framework. It's not a Sketch to code framework oh, okay. Uh, yeah it, it it turns out that that is actually potentially more valuable to us than than the other way around but um a lot of people want want the opposite which is is a whole nother problem altogether but yeah we're it's it's going to work as kind of a uh, uh a sketch plugin we're not we're not building like some new design application and like changing our business or anything like that where um designers 
at Airbnb use uh, use Sketch, and we're not changing that. Okay, that makes sense. My question about the the navigation was uh, I'm always uh, curious about the custom animation because uh, usually I found it to be extremely difficult. I haven't tried uh, uh, the Airbnb uh, library, but uh, with the current uh, X navigation and a lot of other uh, navigator libraries, the custom animation is kind of like hard to implement. Or you just have to dive into the code and then try to find the section that needs to be changed. So is there something that, uh, like kind of like available in, uh, the native, uh, navigation, uh, that I can, uh, leverage and then implement a custom animations on top of it? Have you thought about it? Um, do you think it's kind of like an easy task to do or it needs to be fully understand from the person? Who actually going to implement it? Yeah, so the the answer may be maybe what you want to hear, maybe not what you want to hear. Uh, so native navigation uses kind of the built-in navigation uh, components, and because of that, you're able to kind of customize the the native transitions in the same way that you would if you weren't using React Native. Um, you're, you're able to, uh, so anything that you would be already doing in a native app, if you happen to be integrating with the native app and already have these sort of custom transitions, uh, defined, you, you would be able to, to leverage those, um, as well. And, and that's, that's maybe slightly easier said than done. Um, there are, I think we're still trying to understand the best kind of extension points for, for us to provide that, that make it really easy to do these things. Um, but, uh, you know, also provide really good default behavior and, and things like that. And that's not, that's not all figured out yet. Um, there were a couple of things that we ended up building into the library that, that didn't necessarily need to be built in, but, um, we were using, so we did, uh, one one of them is like the shared element transitions, um, and I you know I think that you could go a bit further with uh, with those types of transitions uh, than than we have already. But but there's kind of some base base level support built in there, um, and then we run into some platform differences too. So uh, on on, on iOS, it, it turns out to be like pretty easy to, to just configure something so that it it uses like some built-in custom uh, transition coordinator for, for iOS and and then there you can like literally do anything you want. On, on Android, it's not so flexible and so we, we uh, there, there isn't really a way to just do that entirely in Android, at least not across, not like without building your own sort of animation framework for it. Um, and, and so we're still kind of exploring how to, how to expose things, uh, you know, especially cross platform things. But um, I don't, I don't know if that sort of answers your question or not. Well, yeah, it's kind of like, a, I have to actually jump into it, but uh, recently with, uh, with uh, I'm actually working with the designer at uh, work and then um uh, there are some sort of like animation he wants to add into the app. And as far as I see, uh, or I found, uh, it's kind of like, uh, 
it has to be done in native side um, if I want to actually implement it. So what I did at the end is I start rebuilding everything into, unfortunately, I have to uh, build something again from the scratch. So uh, it's called scene router. So I basically uh, create something similar to the navigations, but uh, what I'm actually doing is I fully customized the animation. It's not production ready yet. I'm just basically uh, probably by end of the month probably should be ready. But uh, working on the kind of like you plug uh, type of animations that you want between the two scenes and then it figures out uh, to do the, uh, the animation. Uh, between those. So the hardest part, as you said, uh, is just uh, figuring out the right API. So that's the things that I'm uh, struggling. And I've, I've been uh, looking into a lot of uh, other projects, but unfortunately, I haven't found uh, a really good one until this. So um, I'm, I will definitely jump into it. Yeah, I mean, feel feel free to uh, open up an issue or something and kind of explain the the animation you're looking for, you know, I can't promise that we'll we'll be able to provide some way to do it. But I, I'm always interested in understanding more people's use cases so that we can, uh, you know, try and try and evolve our APIs to solve real world problems. Yeah, that's good. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I want to cover is native navigation. I know that when I saw I was at React. Um, um, comp and a few months ago, and I, I didn't actually get a chance to meet you there, but I did see that you guys released native navigation and it looks super interesting. I really like the fact that it um, uses native navigation under the hood. It's like using native components and native transitions. Can you kind of talk about like who would be a good use case for someone listening, um, why they should choose um, a native navigation or if a certain use case would be better for React navigation or a certain other navigator um, and kind of the benefits that they would get out of it and also kind of why Airbnb uses that internally and, and, and why they built, why you guys built that. Uh, yeah, so the I think kind of the original reason uh, that we went down that, that path was the, the constraint that we had, which was, um, in my React Comp presentation, sort of what I call the the brownfield constraints, which is when you have you have an app that you're slowly integrating React Native into, and so in order to do that effectively, you have um, you want to be able to do it like one screen at a time, and you might have entire flows that uh, that your new React Native flow needs to interact with, and so you need to go. Uh, from a React Native screen to a native screen and back into React Native and kind of go back and forth. Um, and you need to be able to do all of that without uh, without it being like really obvious to the user that like some huge, weird context transition just took place. And so it, it your React Native screens need to feel like other screens and they need to uh, en- enter into the the viewable window um, in the same way as other screens and uh, in this case there's often like maybe a navigation bar that's persisted across the screens maybe there's a tab bar that you need to interact with um, there, there's a lot of those sort of little details and that that doesn't even kind of 
broach the fact that like even if you could do that in React Native, then you you want them to sort of look pixel identical, or else there'll kind of be this weird sort of un- uncanny valley where you, you you're like this sort of looks like the last screen I was on. The navigation bar looks pretty similar, but maybe slightly different. Maybe these icons are a different size, or like whatever it is. And once you have that um, slight difference, it, you, you start to sort of lose the the user's trust. Um, and, and so you need to make sure that uh, that your app feels like one sort of consistent product. And that was that was like really important for us. That was one of the the first things. the The other thing was just that it, you know, it feels like the like navigation isn't super simple. And so there, there, it's like a pretty kind of foundational piece of of a platform. And so if you implement it kind of on on your own, then you, you end up having slight inconsistencies around what the platform is doing. Um, and, and there's like a lot of implications there that aren't, aren't always super obvious. Like maybe, maybe you rolled your own navigation, but you, you know, you found out that like it actually hinders accessibility, like completely for screen readers or something like that. And there's, um, there's a lot of that sort of stuff that, that you're getting by using the platform components that that maybe aren't obvious right on the surface. And then also navigation ends up being kind of critical from a performance standpoint. You when you're navigating between screens, it's it's a moment where um, you're you're actually every single time you're you're rendering an entire new screen. And so that that takes some effort for React, right? You're you're rendering a new screen, and so you're you're spending uh, all this time on the JavaScript thread going and and rendering new stuff. Um, and so if you're doing that on the JavaScript thread, then there's the the JavaScript thread at that moment is pretty starved, and it's hard to have it uh, do maybe more complex animations for the for the actual screen transition and you know the the new kind of offloaded native uh driver for the animated library definitely helps in in this regard a lot but by using the native navigation components you're able to really you're able to kind of let let the javascript thread focus on rendering the new screen that it needs to and and uh, and and not worry about whether or not that that animation transition is going to be smooth um, during during that that time. Um, so I don't know. Those are a couple of sort of uh, real real reasons why why we kind of decided to go this route. Um, there there are definitely kind of others that that crop up, but the main focus was kind of around having this this hybrid. React Native app, where you have native and and React Native, and, and they really need to play nice with each other. So, if someone was kind of looking for a navigator or a navigation library for React Native, and they kind of really cared about their transitions, and they really like that was just a major part for them, this might be like probably a good way to go. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe like uh, I I don't want to say that it you know it's going to solve every problem. You know, I I think that 
you know, uh, as uh, Ali mentioned earlier, there's there's a lot of times there's really custom needs, and uh, it's it's still unclear like what what ability to customize we're we're going to be able to provide people. Hopefully, hopefully good good points of customization, but you, you can still you can build a lot of things with React, and if you're if you are building something super custom um, that that like doesn't even resemble the platform anymore, then at that point you uh, maybe maybe the native navigation library is is almost working against you because it it is built on those platforms. This has been like a longer than usual recording, but I feel like it's been one of the best episodes we've ever had because, like you know, hearing from a company like Airbnb and all the open source stuff you've done. And like, I just feel like a lot of the topics we covered have been super valuable and I really appreciate your time. I know you have to be super busy and your time is probably very valuable. So, you know, thank you for, uh, for coming on with us. Yeah, no problem. It's been a fun, fun conversation. So I guess we'll go ahead and jump to the picks. Uh, Ali, do you have any picks? Uh, I do actually. Um, I have, uh, two picks. Um, the first one is, uh, I think, uh, it never actually mentioned, but uh, uh, it's about uh, a new open source project. It's called Macedon. I don't know. Have you heard about it? It's kind of like a Twitter uh, on a dis- like a open source Twitter that uh, it doesn't actually belong to an organization. And a lot of people are actually tweeting about uh, please sign in and then you can communicate uh, with me to the Macedon. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but I'll put the link. And the other one was, uh, I was, uh, browsing the, the YouTube and I found a three minutes, uh, YouTube video, which makes it a really interesting of, uh, um, the four steps, uh, to getting an idea. Um, and it, to me, it was kind of like a interesting that, uh, why when I, when I actually going to the vacation, suddenly I found, uh, like an idea is basically coming to my mind. Uh, that guy was basically describing it. So I highly recommend if you have three minutes, just watch it. Uh, it's uh, pretty uh, interesting. Uh, Peter, do you have any picks? My pick for the for this episode is WebDSP. It's basically like a video editor, like built directly into the browser using WebAssembly. Uh, some of the effects are just like insane. Uh, it's a really cool proof of concept. I think it's Chrome and Firefox only right now. Uh, but definitely check it out for some like really cutting edge stuff. You could like pass in a video or like use your like webcam, for example, and like add like a sunset or like a noise filter or like really mangle uh, the video feed, you know, stuff that you were only capable of doing, you know, in Premiere Pro, uh, for example, like directly in the browser. It's really cool. Awesome. Um, Leland, do you have any picks? Yeah. I'll- I'll go ahead and, and share. Um, I, I've been developing some some courseware for uh, for a React Native class that, that I'm teaching, and, and ended up using a, a service called Graph.Cool, which uh, builds it's a, it's sort of like Firebase, but for GraphQL, and so you're you're able to uh, in in seconds uh, start building your own GraphQL schema, and, and you get a uh, a fully functional GraphQL endpoint, uh, basically for free, and you can kind of manage your your data there. And this is, is really cool platform. I've been really impressed with 
um, just how, how polished the, the site is. The documentation is really good. Um, and it, and it's worked like pretty flawlessly so far. So just want to give them a shout out. Awesome. Yeah. I've been hearing about that. I've been wanting to check it out. I'll have to do that. All I want to say is everybody's been talking about GraphQL lately. I, I was like, I happen to be Lila. I, I think you were on it. Maybe you were, but some like just tweet storm about, uh, using it with a, with some people from Exponent or Expo now. Um, I haven't tried it since, but I kind of want to now because everybody's talking about it. My pick is going to be a talk from Charlie Cheever from Seattle JS, August 23rd, 2016. We'll link to it. It's basically talking about Expo and React Native. I think it's super interesting to hear someone like Charlie talk about this and give a, a presentation about it. Um, he's a really smart guy and he's very successful in his past and he's done a lot of cool stuff. So kind of hearing about Exponent, you know, from him also, um, it, w- it was just super interesting and it's only like a 25 minute talk. So I'll make sure that we link to that in the show notes. And he invented a lot of cool stuff at Facebook. So, and I think he's the co-founder of Quora. Okay. Well, I guess that will go ahead and wrap up episode 62 of React Native Radio. Leland, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week.